This is Learning Innovation, the teaching and learning podcast, otherwise known as LittlePod. We are created by Lethbridge College's Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation, located in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. Here at CTLI, it's our job to keep education innovative and accessible, which leads to lots of conversations and projects with students, educators and experts in our networks. We hope you'll tune in, hit play, and get inspired as we navigate and capture the dynamic landscape of teaching, learning, and pedagogy. Welcome to episode number 29 of The Little Pod. Our guest today is Melanie Hamilton, Educational Development Specialist and Research Program Lead for the Scholarship of Teaching and Learning at Lethbridge College. Mel is also the Chair of SOTL Canada. Today we'll be talking about the Scholarship of Teaching and Learning, otherwise known as SOTL. We'll learn what it is, how it's been impacting learners and educators, and how folks can get involved in this innovative initiative. Welcome, Mel. Well, thank you for having me, Donna. It I always say that SOTL is my favorite four-letter S-word. Well, I know you're very passionate about it, but let's talk about what it is first. And, and I'll use that expression of, talk to me like I'm a kindergartner. Maybe not quite that young, but explain it to me. What What is SOTL? For sure. So when we think about SOTL, I'm going to take a two steps back. And so SOTL is a, a, a type of research in higher education about higher education, so teaching and learning. Um, but what we like to do is look at when when someone comes in and is teaching at in a higher education institution or at a post-secondary institution, they start out as effective teachers, meaning that they're, they're going to follow the course outline, they're going to follow institutional policies and procedures, and they're going to be in the classroom covering the content for whatever course they're teaching. And so once they get comfortable in the classroom and they start to feel like, hey, I've, I've done this teaching technique or I've integrated an innovation into my classroom, we encourage faculty to go to the literature to see what is written about that topic. Um, and that's called scholarly teaching or like we like to say consuming the literature. So you go in and you might talk about how virtual reality um, is impacting higher education classrooms and what's been written about it. So what is VR? How can I incorporate virtual reality into my higher education classroom? And then you read on it. SOTL, the Scholarship of Teaching and Learning, is one step further, and it's creating the literature that the scholarly teachers consume. And so that is where you might want to start doing um, a type of in original or new teaching that focuses specifically or research that focuses on teaching and learning. So it's when you start to look at the methods and the methodology, um, they'll do a literature review on what's existing and where the gaps are, identify those gaps and then conduct original research on those gaps. And what led you to SOTL? Well, I've been doing SOTL probably at least 12 years now. And I felt that I was going, I was always curious about how students learned in the classroom. So my background and discipline is nursing. And I would think about the things that I would be teaching students in the classroom types of topics or content and identifying what content was really easy for students to understand and what content was difficult for students to understand. And when I found that there was something difficult for students to understand, I would think of different ways or 
that I could teach those difficult concepts to make students understand them better. And what I was finding is as I got more curious and as I read the literature on those particular teaching strategies or, or ways of you know, getting students to understand what was going on in the classroom, I was like, hey, there's, there's a whole world on this. There's like research on this. And it's not specific to a nursing discipline or specific to a criminal justice discipline or to a science discipline. It is actually about what is going on in the classroom, the teaching and learning. And so from there, I was like, well... Why couldn't I do a social project if other people are consuming the literature and then creating the literature? So that's kind of how I started and then did my first research project. And to be honest, and I think this happens a lot in higher education, particularly in colleges, is that people are hired for their discipline expertise. And so they're not hired because of their educational background, often not trained in education and certainly not trained in research methods and methodology. And so there's a there's a process of when you you get to the point where you are thinking, okay, I've read the literature, so I've consumed the literature, but I want to start maybe creating the literature of learning to do research while doing the research. And that's where a lot of people will say that they sit, is that they would like to do something around a research project, but they just don't know where to start. And that's kind of where I started and then reached out and I had people help me. Um, with my first research project, which is, you know, a really good way to have people mentor you through a project so that you understand what you're doing and the pitfalls of what can happen in conducting a research study. And so that's kind of how I started. And then my passion kind of grew and I started to shift from identifying myself as a nurse and a nursing professor and nursing instructor to wanting to learn more about how institutions could support SOTL across the institution rather than from a disciplinary focus. And is the is SOTL focus always at the post-secondary level? Um, the scholarship of teaching and learning is research in higher education. However, that being said, there's more people across Canada that are starting to look at the K-12 research as well and how we can collaborate as higher education partners with K-12 teachers so that we can decrease some of the gaps between students leaving a secondary or, you know, your grade 9 to 12 education and coming into post-secondary. So we are finding that there is more conversations around trying to do some collaborative research projects in the K-12 system. That seems like that would be really beneficial for all around. I think I think it does because I and, and as educators we know that there are definitely gaps between what students learn in their particular high school where they are, the province in which they learn, the curriculum to which they're taught, and then coming into a post secondary institution, whether it's a college or, or university, and the the gap can be quite large. And so then it's like, how can we start to narrow some of that gap or make those transitions a little bit easier for students who are, who are transitioning into their post-secondary learning? Mel, is there a difference um, in how SOTL looks? We both work at a college, but how does it look as a co- at a college versus at a university? You know, that's a really interesting question, Donna, because for most colleges or polytechnics, when faculty are hired, they're hired in contractual obligations of like 100% teaching load. So although there may be some release time built into some people's positions, for the most part, when you're teaching at a college or a polytechnic, your job is to teach. 
so that you kind of like a hundred percent teaching load. So to do research at a college when it's not an expectation, that's where you kind of need the time and the support, whether it's course release or some funding to do that research. Whereas at research intensive or teaching universities, there some faculty when they're hired, they are hired with a research focus. So they might have 40% of their workload for research. So that's built into their research, their teaching workload already. Like they don't have to teach 100% of the time. So one of the things as we're building social capacity is understanding that depending on your institutional typology, it may be more difficult for college teachers to do the research, not because they don't know what they're doing, it's just they don't have the time to do it when their expectations are 100% teaching. Mm, that's good to understand the difference in that. And, and um, as you mentioned, though, there's there's a lot of support available too. Yes, there's different supports at different institutions. But here at Lethbridge College, we have the STAR grant, the Scholarly Teaching and Research Grant, which does give teachers or faculty that one course release so that they have the time to conduct their research project, their research project, yes. It sounds like there could be some really fascinating projects. Can you give some examples of uh, SODAL at work? So one of the examples I can use that is actually a transition between high school and post-secondary was a research project I did with my research partner, Carla Walski, a few years ago. And we looked at academic integrity supports in grade six to grade 12s and what type of academic integrity supports were there so that we could better understand why some students were struggling with the philosophy and the concepts around academic integrity in the first few years of their uh, post-secondary journey. So we actually interviewed, not sorry, did we interview as a qualitative, a quantitative study, but we did a quantitative study on the perceptions of middle school and high school teachers to see what they thought and what types of supports were being taught to those high schoolers and middle schoolers so that we had a better idea of what types of supports we could create in post-secondary to help minimize some of that gap. And so did that that gave you some some information to take back to post-secondary and and use that to make some changes? Correct. So one of the things that we were finding specifically is not all um, formal provincial curriculum teaches formal academic integrity issues. So there are some teachers that will teach it because they value it. And high schools will certainly say that they value it and get their students to sign, you know, contracts or they'll sign, you know, consent saying that they understand that they'll participate without academic integrity violations. But the reasons why you don't participate and necessarily the formality of learning about referencing and learning about how to support your own learning with practicing with integrity um, necessarily was a gap that we found. So then from a, from a post-secondary institution perspective, we were able to put some supports in place for students to understand in their first year of the program, whatever program they were in, about why you have to practice with integrity and kind of one of the outputs of our research was we were able at Lethbridge College to create a student academic integrity program. So some of the literature and some of the findings we found were able to inform those processes as we started to build the student academic integrity modules. That's really fascinating. It sounds like there could be such a broad range of um, topics. Are there other research projects that you'd like to mention? Um, Not 
to be honest, not from a high school to post-secondary level. I could talk about other sort of research projects, but not specifically on the K-12. to and, and I'm sure they're happening across Canada. And I know more institutions are wanting those conversations to get started. But I think that's where a lot of institutions are at right now is having the conversations get started. Are there, are there any at the post-secondary level at the college that you'd like to highlight or... or um, I can highlight, like we've had since 2018 when we started the SOTL program, we've had a variety of faculty go through scholarship of teaching and learning research and come out with some phenomenal experiences. Um, one of them, we had a, an instructor a few years ago with her research partner look at gamification and how gamification in the classroom can lead to better understanding of course content. We had another instructor and his research partner do some stuff around virtual reality and artificial intelligence um, in the criminal justice classroom to get students to understand some certain concepts um, better and more comfortable before they transition to live actors. Um, We've had a variety. That's amazing. So taking a, a holistic look at SOTL, how does it impact learners and educators? So from a student perspective, the, the outcome of any sort of project is for better student success. So to look at what teachers are doing in the classroom, to te- look at what types of techniques or strategies they're doing that really impact the student learning. So are those techniques that we think are working really working? So at the end of the day, and what all sort of research is, is to give the student a better experience. From a teacher perspective, I think part of it is a professional development. And as you progress through your teaching career, you're going to want to do different things and build on your own professionalism. And scholarship of teaching learning is one way for faculty to build on existing teaching strategies, to renew their teaching strategies, to look at different ways that they could deliver curriculum or curriculum content. Um, one of the ways that we like to look at SOTL is it's not doesn't necessarily have to be done only at the classroom level. So we follow what we call the 4M framework. And that was developed by some social researchers years ago, Nicholas Simmons and then Jennifer Freiberg. And a whole bunch of people have have followed this, this process. But what you can do is you look at it from the micro level, which is in the classroom. So faculty or staff who want to impact student level, but more at the classroom. Um, the next level up is the MISO level SOTL. And with the MISO level SOTL, you're looking more at curriculum, broader program department level. If you want to look at institutional level SOTL, that's macro level SOTL. So that's when you might want to do a project that influences an entire institution. And then the fourth M stands for mega level SOTL. And that's typically outside your institution and done more at the provincial, national or international level. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, it's interesting to learn about the different, the scope of the different levels. How does this look in a practical way? Okay, so from a practical level, like if you mean if an instructor was interested in doing a SOTO project? So if there was an instructor that was really passionate about an area of their teaching, we could have a conversation. So anybody from the educational development team or the LXD team could talk to them about what specifically they felt was a researchable teaching strategy or researchable occurrence that they're having within their classroom. And we would direct them to the literature. So look at what's been published in the literature on your topic 
look for the gaps where it hasn't been published, look at the types of research that has been done. So is it qualitative versus quantitative or mixed methodology research? So that was the would be the first thing is to look at what's already been done. And then from there, you could start looking at what type of question am I actually want to ask? So developing your research question. Part of um, looking at a social methodology perspective is that it, it, it encompasses all disciplines. So there's not one way to do it. And you don't have to do it from your discipline viewpoint. Because what you're trying to do is improve teaching and learning for everybody. And it's shared out widely and broadly. And that's kind of like one of the gold stars of SOTL. And so then you would develop your research question from your research question or questions. You would develop your, choose your methods or your methodology. So to which lens you're going to do your research, um, quantitative, qualitative, mixed methodology. From there, then you would develop a data collection tool or seek out a, a data collection tool that's already been used, validated and is reliable. And you want your data collection tool to answer your research questions. So sometimes some of the mistakes beginning level researchers will make is they'll choose a data collection tool, but it's not really answering their research questions. So you want a, a tool that's going to answer what you're asking. And then finally, you would collect that data, however you would collect that data. And then you would analyze the data and then eventually would write it up for dissemination. Um, and of course, that being said, you would do no research without ethics approval. And so does that, um, you mentioned how you got your start with kind of that, hmm, I wonder why this is happening in the classroom or, you know, why they're learning this quicker than something else. And does it just sort of start with that kind of, I wonder why this is happening that way? It's It always starts with an inquiry, an inquiry or a thought about something. And sometimes it's to to really show that it cements what you're doing, that it authenticates or says, yes, what I'm doing is great and I want to continue doing it and share it out. But it also might say, hey, what I thought I was doing isn't working as well as I thought it was. And that's okay too, because the one good thing about SOTL is that we celebrate successes and failures and want them both published widely. And so just because it didn't work in the class doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It's a aha moment. And it could then, by publishing or sharing that information out, could lend other people who, who are consuming the literature to read that and go, oh, perhaps it wasn't working as well as I thought it was. So the, there's a, a couple different ways that you can look at it. And do you help, so if you've got an instructor that comes to you that's never done this kind of thing before, are you able to support them through those processes? Yeah, the, that's kind of a big part of my job would be to talk to people through all those processes. So where their level of inquiry is, where they situate themselves on the 4M level, where they would like to go with their research, what kind of capacity they have for research, meaning have they done research in the past and just need a little support? They've never done research and need a lot of support. And then we have things in place that will help them through every step of the research project. And th that's, a, I think, a big thing to communicate is people who are learning research while doing research is a, is a very common thing. And people are never alone, that there's people around, whether it's at our institution or in my role as Soto Canada, I can hook people up outside our institution with similar like-minded researchers that would be able to go through the research process. It's, it's a very friendly group of people that want to help you succeed and so we'll do everything they can to help you get from the beginning the inception of your research project to dissemination 
That's wonderful because I, I could see where, you know, if, if someone has never done research before, where it might be kind of intimidating. So knowing that you've got this support system in place would be really, really encouraging for instructors who want to try and do this. Correct. And I think that's a big, uh, that's part of the big learning gap, particularly with college um, faculty who have never been taught how to research before is that, you know, taking those steps about this is how you do a literature review. This is why you do a literature review. This is how we craft a question. There's typically four types of questions in total taxonomy that we look at. And, and then let's talk about the different types of methods or methodology you would choose and why you would choose a certain methodology, quantitative versus qualitative, and what their capacity is and how much time they have to do the research and do they have release time to do the research because that would all factor into how we would help them develop their research project. You've been involved in SOTL for quite a number of years. Can you talk about how what changes you've seen or a little bit about the history of SOTL? So um, Sotal's been around since the early 90s with Boyer, like, and where he, um, dis- he had four ways of looking at research. Um, the schol- and you will hear this or see this in past literature, that there's the scholarship of discovery, which they would call peer research, scholarship of application, the scholarship of integration, and the scholarship of teaching. And then Sotal scholars over the past 30 years have weighed in and built upon that original definition of Boyer. And you'll have seen they did a Boyer reconsidered and added more thought to the process. They they added teaching and learning. Um, so it was used to just be the scholarship of teaching, but then they added and learning. They added the variety of methods and methodology to which you could approach your, your SOTL project. And then they added the 4M framework to which the lens you're looking through SOTL and then they've added student as partners. So at getting students to do research with faculty members, not for faculty members. So student as partners, a big international movement where we include students in the research has grown. Um, the amount of support for SOTL at specific institutions, whether it's colleges or research intensive universities has grown. So the momentum and the movement for SOTL, it's an international movement, meaning that we have an international society for the scholarship of teaching and learning. So it's done across the world, various continents, through various lenses. So it's grown substantially. Yeah, it sounds like it's really grown and changed and, and uh, sounds quite exciting. It's, it's very exciting. And, uh, and at the end of the day, we're all here to help our students be successful. And the more research that we can do on successful teaching strategies or successful teaching topics and the way students learn, and we can share those out beyond the boundaries of our discipline, so inter or intradisciplinary collaborations, the better all students are going to learn. And then all faculty will teach because when we consume that literature and look at how other people are doing it at other institutions or, you know, whether it's in North America or across internationally is that we can adopt then those successful teaching strategies for our own classrooms. And not only that, but build upon them, which is another reason that we were when we look at SOTL is that you can peer review the work. It can be built upon and shared around across the disciplines. And are you involved with the international side of SOTL? Yeah, I sit as the Vice President Canada for the International Society for the Scholarship of Teaching and Learning, which is ISOTL. So as a board member there, we look at the trends from an international perspective and what supports 
are being done like in North America versus Australia or Asia or Europe or Africa and look at some of the experiences that teachers are having there. And the International Society also provides support for different teachers who might not have those supports at their institutions or access to those supports. So we try to support our international colleagues as much as we can. That must be quite fascinating because we've got all kinds of different education systems around the world. So I'm sure you must see a lot of things that are common, but then also some differences as well. Yeah, we see a lot of differences. And I think it's timely conversations that we're having at the international level, since we're being much more mindful of EDI principles, and asking who's at the table and who's not at the table and getting the people's voices who are not at the table to the table, or at least being respectful and bringing those voices to the table on behalf of them, if they don't have the abilities or the capabilities to be at the table. Because again, at the end of the day, whatever we can learn to share out to others, then the students will have the better experience. Right. Yeah. And having all of the the voices, the perspectives is really key. Yes. Looking at um, your social role here at Lethbridge College, um, can you talk about what, what that role looks like here within the college? So a, a big part of my work would be to to be seeking out and helping faculty identify areas to which they could be researchers. So helping them transition uh, from the effective teaching where they probably started out as early career faculty into that more that scholarly teaching where they are looking at the literature and then identifying really bright spots in their own teaching that could potentially be researched. And part of the thing that I love the most is talking to people who have felt they never would or could do research and having coffee conversations with them to get them excited about an idea and then to take that idea and then bring it through the research process. So talk to them about, okay, well, if you were gonna do research, this is how we could start. And if you were going to do research, this is the type of methods or methodology we could choose. You know, it's always about starting small, like research projects do not need to be big, particularly when you're doing research for the first time. It's okay to talk about one teaching strategy in a class, in a program. It doesn't have to solve the entire problems of a curriculum. It's not meant to do that if you're doing it at the micro level, if you're doing it at the MISO level, different research. But and to get people passionate about what they're doing and believing on in the classroom and going from that consuming to creating the the literature. And so then I'll help people from writing. We have a internal grant here at Lethbridge College called the STAR grant, which stands for the Scholarly Teaching and Research Grant. And so getting people to write their application and we'll help them walk through the process of writing their application and then getting them, if they're successful with their grant application, talking about next steps, like what are we going to do first since you have your research release now and that you're able to do some research over the next year and putting supports in place and connecting them with people who have might have done similar research projects. So again, that they're not feeling alone. But I think a big part of my job would be to help people who are in particularly in their mid careers or who are thinking about, you know, wanting to do something different professional development wise, be interested in the fact that they could do research. Well, and the fact that you're so passionate about it really helps to to get other people excited about it. Well, and I, I think part of it is that it's like once you've been through it and I would have been as scared 
when I did my first research project way back when about I'm not capable, like I, yes, I did, you know, research when I was in my graduate education and my master's of nursing, but doing research in your graduate education when you're learning research is not the same as doing it when you're on your own, when it's your own topic, something you're passionate about, your inquiry you're passionate about. And so when you, we can help people break down and demystify the research process and that it is really a linear step-by-step process and it is not as scary as people think it is, is, is the most um, compelling thing for me to help people is to say, no, you know what, let's just take the step-by-step. I gotcha every step of the way and we can do this together. You're never on your own. You can ask a million questions. We can ask a million more. It doesn't matter. And we're going to have people beside you and walk along with you as you go through this project. Because at the end of the day, there's nothing better than seeing a faculty complete a research project and know whatever they had their inquiry about was working, it was validated, or made a difference in a student's journey. And I could see at that point, really the fire getting lit within them as well, you know, when they reach that point. Correct. And then the funny part about it is, is of course, and I'd mentioned this previously in our conversation, is that it's not just about completing the research project. It's about disseminating that information out. So when I say disseminating, it could be at a conference. So it could be at an education conference. There's a variety of SOTO conferences that we have at the national and international level where you can share your work out. We've had a number of Lethbridge College faculty participate in various social conferences and share their work out. And that's another layer of celebration that you can show people and present on what you've done and how it's made a difference. And then people at the conference asking for your information so they could take it back to their own institution and do it with their students or take that particularly that particular teaching strategy or that particular thought or idea and do it with their students in their classroom. And there's a sense of pride when you know that you've made a difference to someone else's classroom. And you can also publish, so you can write an article. There's a variety of social journals that exist. And so then you can take the next step and write that article. And part of my job is to help you with those abstracts for either a conference application or to look at an article that you're going to publish. Uh, because of my pers- my role at Total Canada, I do that often. So I have some tips and tricks and tidbits that can help faculty with their dissemination too. So on this podcast, we often ask, you know, about innovation because it's the Learning Innovation Podcast, but everything about research sounds really innovative. But are there some things that, that have been surprising for you um, in the Total community? Um, one of the things that has been spectacular and actually came from our own institution was Dave Mays and George Gallant doing their total research project on um, using VR and artificial intelligence. And to see those guys over a three-year period with three different research projects develop not only the research process to and to look at the way that students learning in criminal justice could be is that they've improved on that every year with another research project. And so I think from an innovation perspective, there's so much untapped potential with virtual reality, with artificial intelligence, and some of those newer kind of innovations that are coming across the higher education landscape and things we haven't even thought about. 
And so I think one of the things too is, and I would encourage listeners is if you ever get a chance even to start, like, let's say you don't have an idea of what you want to do for solo and it still scares you is to attend a solo conference and to see the different types of solo projects that are presented at those conferences, because then those can spark ideas that conference are sitting in those plenary sessions could spark an idea of something to say like, Hey, if they can do it, I can do it. And um, if you've ever been or ever do go to a little conference, you're going to make 50 friends in the first day that you're there. It's very, very supportive group of people. And you can talk with people at lunch and at coffee breaks about what your ideas are. And you'll always have about 10 to 15 friends when you leave those conferences and potential solo projects to collaborate on. So it can be within your institution or external to your institution, but the support is there. That makes such a difference. And it really sounds like, you know, in so many ways, those collaborations would be beneficial. Yeah. And I think, too, when when people are new to SOTL, or I always suggest to people who have never done research before to do it with a partner, you don't have to do it alone. And sometimes when you do it with a partner, um, whether it's at your institution or external to your institution, that you've got that extra support there to go through the process. So, it, you know, having a partner alongside you makes it even less scary than it would if you're doing it by yourself. What does the future look like for SOTL and uh, in your own roles in relation to that? I, th- I think one of the things, and it's SOTL Canada's 10th anniversary this year, and so we were talking at the executive about where we'd like to see SOTL, Can- SOTL go. And although we don't have any answers to that per se, one of the things that we want to broaden is looking at different types of methodologies. So to look at Indigenous methodologies, um, to look at and making sure that we're encompassing the EDI voice into social research and how we can then support researchers across Canada with those two topics. I think another thing is still, SOTL still new enough that not all institutions support it. And so we still have to have those conversations with key people at institutions about why SOTL is so important for the student experience and that teaching and learning research is as value as discipline, is as valuable as discipline-based research. And so that because in post-secondary, we're in the business of higher education and we're in the business of supporting students or supporting initiatives that support students is that the, we need to be doing more SOTL at our, our institutions. And that's across the board. And those conversations happen regularly at the national and the international level is how we can get more people into our party. You mentioned for those curious about SOTL to attend a SOTL conference, uh, when is the next conference coming up? So there's two coming up. There's one coming up in Ottawa. That's the Society for Teaching Learning in Higher Education, STELI. Um, their conference is the, the, the second week in June. And it um, they, have, they have that conference every year, and it varies from place to place in Canada. But they do a lot of work around SOTL, and so they have a SOTL stream. So you can attend that conference. The next one coming up after that is the ISOTL, the International SOTL Conference. And that is in Canada this year in Kelowna, November 5th, 2nd to 5th. So that's another conference that you can attend to. And that conference um, varies from place to place every year. So it could be a North American SOTL soil one year, and then it might be in Europe the next year. It was in Australia virtually last year. Had it not been for the pandemic, the SOTLers would have been offline to Perth. So, so that's another SOTL conference you can attend. 
closer to Lethbridge every year. The Banff Conference, the Mount Royal University Soil Conference, happens in Banff, so that's a lo- that's a local conference happens annually. So those are three; those are the three big conferences. So, so, and if someone were to attend a conference, then after that, is what would be their next step? So they could attend the conference, and they go, they can come back and say, "Mel, I've been bit by the soil bug," and I'll jump up and down for glee and say, of course you did, because you're doing excellent things in your classroom anyway. And then I would say, now, how can we and what can we do to help you start your solo research? Let's start at the beginning. What is your ideas and the fabulous things you're doing in your classroom? And how can we get the conversation started? And what are you most excited about for the future of Soto? I think for me, the thing that I'm most excited about is the potential that, well, two things. So number one, the potential of what we don't know. And that's like things like the virtual reality and where artificial intelligence are going to go to help our students become even more successful. And I think the other thing for me is to get more people into our social party is the people that thought they were never capable or never thought they could do or wanted to do social research to start thinking about how they could start being the ones that are creating that literature rather than just consuming it. That's wonderful. And I mean, this just even listening to this podcast, you know, may inspire some folks, give them more information about it. And, and uh, you know, you might have more people knocking on your door. Absolutely. And anybody can contact me anytime. I'd be happy to have a conversation with anybody ever about what they're doing in their classroom and how we can turn that into a research project. Um, okay, so that's kind of the end of our questions. Um, before we kind of wrap up, is there anything else you want to add? I think the only thing I would like to add is that everybody is capable of doing research. And there's no hierarchy or there's no additional knowledge that you need if you have a really good curiosity about what you're doing in your classroom and that you're never alone. And that if you ever want to or engage in this type of research, there are lots of people across Canada that would be in your court cheering you on and would help you from beginning to end to get that project across the finish line. Well, thank you very much, Mel. That is the perfect message to uh, inspire people to, uh, you know, ponder and think of some questions and and think about their, their teaching and the learning. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on and letting me talk about what I love most. So the very last part of our podcast is always asking about if there's something that you have loved learning lately. As as a community of educators, we tend to be people that like to learn. And I know you just finished a big accomplishment. So so that was some learning. Yeah, I just finished my doctorate of educational leadership and I did it on the scholarship of teaching and learning And so, of course, then I'm just even more excited now about the potential where students or faculty could go with their students in this type of research. So outside of that, I don't imagine you had a lot of time, but is there anything else you'd like to mention that you've loved learning? Um, I think learning is endless. I don't think you'll ever stop learning, which is the privilege of us being able to be in higher education. Not only are we there for our students, but we learn from our students. And I think probably the last thing I could say on this is that pay attention to what your students are saying because they could give you the next idea for a research project. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Mel. That's wonderful. And it's been a fascinating learning about SOTL. Well, thank you again for having me. This episode featured Donna McLaughlin as host and Melanie Hamilton as guest. Jordana Gagnon was our producer. 
Ryan Robinson was our sound technician and editor. Thank you also to Daryl Benebeck, Joel Godry, Kelsey Jansen, Tyler Wall, Jamin Heller, and Jesse Sorensen for their ongoing support and expertise. Our podcast is funded by Lethbridge College's Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation and recorded on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. For more information and inspiration, check out learninginnovation.ca. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and follow us on your chosen platform. Thanks for listening and take care.